0: A billion people in the world suffer from hunger, not knowing where their next meal might come from or what it might be. And if you remember from previous episodes, this is not a scarcity issue. We overproduce and waste millions of pounds of food every year. Which begs the question, if there's plenty of food, why are people going hungry? It was this question that prompted Appeal Sciences and its founder James Rogers to search for an answer developing a plant-based spray that can multiply the lifespan of produce, Appeal extends the reach of healthy food to the millions who need it most. This is In Good Hands, a show about the businesses and founders solving our climate crisis. I'm your host, Peter Levin, and today we talk with Appeal's Director of Sustainability, Jessica Vieira, about how Appeal is revolutionizing the food supply chain, one avocado at a time. Jessica, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here this morning.
0: So, Jessica, let's jump right in. What is Appeal Sciences?
1: Appeal Sciences is a company based in Santa Barbara, California. We've developed a product that is a plant-derived coating that extends the shelf life of fruits and vegetables. And basically what that means is that it's an extremely thin material that's applied onto a fruit or vegetable after it's harvested. And it creates this you know, imperceptibly thin, totally edible, tasteless coating on the fruit or vegetable that makes it last you know, up to two to three times longer than a typical piece of fruit. Essentially, it creates this barrier around the produce that creates this you know, microclimate that slows down the respiration rate, so the rate that water gets out and that oxygen gets in, which are the primary causes of spoilage for fruits and vegetables. And the reason that we're so excited about this is that you know right now, so much food ends up going to waste, so much food that we produce ends up going to waste. And for fruits and vegetables, this is a particularly big issue because of how high the perishability is. So by extending the shelf life, um, we can actually help to reduce the amount of food that's lost or wasted throughout the supply chain.
0: Can you take us through the life cycle of an avocado after it's been picked today? And then how does that change with a peel?
1: Avocados can come from a number of different regions. Uh, most people aren't eating a local avocado. And so there will be a number of different farmers. Sometimes they're large, sometimes it's a group of small smallholder farmers. They grow the avocados, they're picking them from their trees, and typically they're sent to what's called a packing house. And so this is when they're cleaned, they're sorted into different sizes, they're being packaged, and then they're usually put in some kind of storage. Typically it's cold storage, so they're kept in a specific temperature, uh, refrigerated to really slow down that respiration rate. And then sometimes, depending on how far they're going, they're even put into what's called a controlled atmosphere environment, so into a shipping container or a storage center that has an optimum concentration of different gases uh, like oxygen, carbon dioxide, um, in order to maintain the quality of fruit for that period of time. And then depending on you know the type of store they're going to, they may even be pre-ripened. So if you've been to a store like Costco where you're shopping less frequently and you're buying bags of avocados, they're typically pretty hard when you buy them. And that's you know how people tend to shop there. They buy thinking, you know, we'll be using these over the next couple of weeks, for example. But if they're going to, you know, a store like Whole Foods, where you're you really want to eat something as soon as you buy it, they may be actually pre-ripened with ethylene. But most of what happens in in this produce's life cycle, is each step in that supply chain, whoever or whatever entity is responsible for it, is trying to figure out how to keep it at that best condition for that period of time to get it to the next stage. Um, Because it's the perishability that really dictates the entire supply chain of, of these fruits and vegetables. With our product, we're kind of changing that status quo. You may have thought, that you only had X amount of time in order to distribute, package, store, uh, use it once it's in your home. And we're saying, well, maybe you actually have 2X now. And how can you optimize the supply chain and innovate in ways to make it more efficient and more sustainable if that basic understanding of how long you have actually might be changing? Because there aren't very many solutions so far in the food supply chain that are able to stay with the produce for its entire life cycle so you know end to end most of what we do now whether it's packaging or refrigeration or this controlled atmosphere it gets the produce from a to b but not from a to b to c to d for example
0: when does appeal enter the life cycle so farmers are growing the produce and then does appeal send a team on site to apply the coating do they have the product on site to apply themselves? When is it applied to the produce?
1: So it, it can be applied really at any stage from a feasibility standpoint. Right now, we're very focused on applying at these packing houses. So our product itself, which is manufactured in a powder form, ends up being shipped to the distribution center or the packing house mixed in solution with water, and then sprayed and dried onto the produce. And we actually, in addition to offering the physical product itself, we actually offer the service of integrating that equipment, do the application, of mixing the solution, of monitoring everything in the application process for a couple of different reasons. But one of, I think, the most important reasons, in my opinion, is that we really want to make sure that we're maintaining the quality of the treatment itself with our product, but also monitor the quality of the produce in general.
0: That is fascinating. When customers are buying the produce, are they aware that it's coded with appeals product? Kind of talk me through the end consumer relationship and understanding.
1: Yeah, so consumers will know and should be able to see that an avocado that they're buying at the store was treated with appeal. Our label does carry through and is a consumer-facing brand marker on the produce. And we think that that's very important for a few reasons, but primarily because a lot of the benefits of our product will be realized by the consumers. When you look at food waste, especially in more developed countries like the US or the EU, an overwhelming majority of that waste happens in consumers' homes. And so that additional shelf life extension really has, I think, the biggest benefit to the consumer. And so understanding consumer preferences and really communicating the value of our product to consumers is important because we think that they're the ones who it's going to make the biggest difference for and they're the ones that are going to to really look for the product. Right now we also have been able to demonstrate that the value to the retailers is very clear even on its own in that we're able to reduce half the amount of fruit that they would have had to throw away from their shelves when they do have our product but we think that that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg in terms of the, the food waste benefits and are really trying to better understand you know, what's happening in the consumer's homes when they're purchasing our,
0: our fruit. How are you educating customers about availability? How do I know that a certain outlet holds appeal?
1: We actually have on our website right now a store locator. So you can search your zip code and at any time see which stores closest to you do carry our product. It's interesting in terms of how you think about rolling out a product like ours. It has to be a pretty aggressive ramp in that you can't just offer appeal avocados for six weeks out of the year. You don't want to go to your grocery store and not consistently be able to buy the same thing. So when we think about rolling out new programs, we really have to be thinking, we need a 52-week supply plan. We need to be able to have consistency for the customers that are going to particular grocery stores. And we also have to have widespread availability so that you're not saying, oh, this sounds really cool, but when are they coming to my location? So that's really, you know, a big part of our goals right now is how do we get as deep into the market as we can so that we are able to engage consumers who are starting to hear about our product and they can have the experience themselves because really it's one of those you know you have to see it to believe it sometimes you have to be able to get it to them.
0: I actually hadn't even thought about that because with every new type of produce or category of produce that you bring online or you start pulling through your supply chain triggers a whole cascade of consequences right there's a whole new set of relationships that need to be developed wow i just i just hadn't thought about how kind of complicated every new set of produce wow
1: yeah there are some learnings and relationships that i think can be leveraged across produce categories, but there are some that are just very unique. So for example, right now in market, we have avocados, citrus, and asparagus. And there are a number of other produce categories that are you know, kind of on the bench right now. And avocados and citrus in particular, you know, are packed in very similar ways, like similar conveyor systems, similar packing house setups. But then when you look at a produce category like berries, Most strawberries, for example, are actually picked in the field and put directly into those plastic clamshells that you see in the store. When you look at that, you're like, okay, so how do we integrate (laughs) into that? That's very different. We obviously, for categories like strawberries and others, we have to think about the application totally differently. And we have to innovate in very different ways to think about introducing products like that. We have lots of fun challenges here.
0: <laughs> I know the company has garnered a bunch of attention from some some really well-known investors like the Gates family, Andreessen Horowitz. Do you think that this reflects a broader market shift around sustainability and sustainable products?
1: I think that there's There are a lot of opportunities in this space. And I think that if you looked at maybe 10 years ago, there was a lot of focus on this tension between sustainability and business opportunity. But I think now they're just becoming more and more in line. There was actually even a report that the CDP came out with within the last couple of weeks that showed the business opportunities associated with climate change far exceeded the business risks associated with dealing with climate change kind of across almost every sector that they looked at. And so I think that these are problems that need to be solved, and a lot of them also make a lot of economic sense. And so, you know, if anything, we hear, I think, of more companies getting funding that are addressing some kind of sustainability challenge than not. I think that it's prime market to develop innovations that address both. And I think that it's just further pushing in that direction.
0: In just a sec, Jess talks about bringing appeal to other countries around the world and where the next big innovation and sustainability will be. But before we get there, I'm so thrilled to introduce you to this season's sponsor, Bite Toothpaste Bits. Bite is this totally new take on toothpaste. It's free of harsh chemicals, preservatives, and most importantly, plastic. So instead of the sticky paste and plastic tubes that linger in landfills, you pop a tablet in your mouth, you bite down, and you start brushing. It foams up just like the regular mint toothpaste. And here's the cherry on top. So Bite has never extended a discount on their product before, until today. For the first time, Byte is offering listeners of this show an exclusive offer on your first four-month subscription. So if you go to ByteToothpasteBits.com, you use the code INGOODHANDS, you'll get $5 off plus free shipping. So that's code INGOODHANDS, and see why thousands of customers rate Byte five stars. Again, I love my Byte toothpaste. They eliminate plastic waste. They use all-natural, clean ingredients. They don't leave any of that sticky goop all over my bathroom counter. And seriously, we brush our teeth at least twice a day every day, right? day. We're gonna need toothpaste. So why not choose a cleaner, all-natural alternative that's just as effective, if not more, and fun to use? So try out their flagship four-month supply at bitetoothpastebits.com. Use code INGOODHANDS and let us know what you think. Now back to the episode. Let's transition to impact. What has been the impact of Appeal to date? Is there any rough measure of how it's been evaluated or recorded, or maybe how you guys look at impact at Appeal?
1: That's a very good question. We measure it in a few different ways. Obviously, you know, how much food waste we're reducing is a big part of it, but not just how much food that we're reducing because reducing food waste, while that is a big part of our mission, it really depends what it took to reduce that. If you have to use more resources to reduce food waste than you're saving, it's probably not worth it. We measure actually everything that it took to manufacture, distribute, apply our product, basically anything that had to change in the produce supply chain or really in the world for our product to exist. We measure that and then we subtract that from the benefits of our product to reduce food waste. So all of the you know, carbon emissions, water savings, energy savings, land use reductions associated with reducing that food waste is kind of the baseline and then we subtract out our own footprint. And what we're seeing so far is that, at least with our avocado integrations, Even when we subtract out our own footprint, we're still capturing over 90% of the environmental savings from reducing that, that food waste, so from the effect of our product. Of course, we're trying to get to 100%, but that's one of the primary ways that we're looking at impact right now.
0: What you said is super important. I meet with a lot of founders that are exploring opportunities in sustainability. And while the product itself might be maybe biodegradable in nature, a lot of the founders are not thinking about the end to end cost. What does it take to actually produce the product, then deliver the product or service to the end user? I really like that you hit home that point did notice as well, that you've been working abroad in Kenya, Nigeria, allowing food to reach places that weren't possible before. What has what has that impact been like?
1: It's a totally different ballgame when you look at places that don't have cold chain infrastructure. When you think about food waste in the US, it's mostly at retail and consumer. When you think about food loss in regions like Kenya and Nigeria, it's just not even getting to market. I think we have this amazing opportunity to be somewhat of a leapfrog technology in regions like that. And actually in one of our projects, it was mangoes out of Kenya, and we were trying to look at what if you could work with some of these growers to export. And there was an issue with logistics and the refrigeration unit in a shipping container just stopped working. So we had treated and untreated produce for several days, extra and also not in refrigeration. And by the time it got to the region, the untreated produce was like totally rotten, awful, and the appeal treated produce was still fine. And we didn't intend to do it that way, <laughs> but it was a pretty good example of maybe we can reduce reliance on the cold chain, especially in places where just the resources and infrastructure that would be needed are kind of overwhelming to think about. But what if that's not the only way to get there?
0: I'm kind of at a loss for words because there, there's really no coincidence why these high impact investors like the Gates family and so on are involved. This is a revolutionary solution. I'm thinking back over the last week, what things have I thrown away? Clementines that have gone bad, you know, guacamole that we opened, salary. And I'm just thinking, I'm throwing all of this away. And there's hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people who can't even get the produce in the first place.
1: I was gonna say, I think we all just feel lucky that we get to we get to call this our work. <laughs> I think it is such a fun and important thing to work on. It's definitely easy to get to work every day.
0: <laughs> I bet. Is there a customer story that you're most proud of?
1: I think there's maybe a couple we could speak to, but I think I mean when you think about the produce industry, it's a pretty risk-adverse industry and Convincing sometimes suppliers or retailers to adopt a new technology to risk this shipment on trying something new isn't always that easy. For some of our partners who really have trusted in what we've been able to demonstrate to them, I think we've had some amazing success and it's really exciting to share. So one example in particular is Martins, which is a small retail chain in the mid-Atlantic and Midwest They did a pilot program with us, and after only a few weeks, they had virtually no shrink with a peel avocados, which means shrink is like the retail definition for how much produce ends up having to be culled or thrown away from the the store itself. After only a few weeks, basically they didn't have to throw any avocados away, and Decided right there to sign on to offer 100% of their retail chain's fresh avocados with appeal. The product, I guess, spoke for itself, which is the ideal scenario, but they had to take that risk and trust that we were actually going to be able to demonstrate the value that we were communicating. So, that I think is probably the most, the one that I w- I'm most excited about right now.
0: It's really exciting hearing the progress being made. It makes me really optimistic about the future. What is next from here? What's the moonshot for appeal?
1: I think we're at this stage where right now we maybe have a lot of moonshots. I think that one that I mentioned briefly was the cold chain. You know, to what extent do we need the cold chain? Um, You know, can we really rethink the food supply chain and develop it in a way that is sustainable? We need more than 50% more food by 2050 with the growing population, we don't really have the land area to grow that much more food. And so we need to find some really innovative ways to solve this problem. But I think appeal at its core is, is really an innovation company. And so I think that really finding additional problems that really need solutions like this, I think there's a number of different directions that we could go to.
0: Jessica, I, I feel like we could talk for hours about this. I, I would love to, but I <laughs> I I have to introduce the lightning round, which is my favorite part of every interview. It's a couple questions and we'll try to answer them in a minute or less. Okay. You ready to go? I think so. All right. <laughs> All right. The first question is: where in sustainability do you think the next big innovation will come from?
1: I think that when it comes to sustainability there's two things that are really important and that's data and understanding human behavior. I think technology and science is really important but I think understanding how a consumer is going to respond to something and how behavior is going to shift really is what moves the needle and I think that never have as much data as you need and so I think that when you look at some of the artificial intelligence and the big data development that's going on, if that can really get a strong enough sense of how consumers are going to behave and if we can use that information to shift behavior complemented by other science and technology advances, I think that there's a lot that can happen.
0: What's something you believe to be true that most people don't agree with you on?
1: So, I'm a, a systems-wide thinker, you know, we talked about that a little bit. And so, I think that a lot of people always want an answer to A or B. They want to know, should I buy this or should I buy this? And I, I really don't like when we're given these trade-offs. You know, sometimes you see this with bands of particular things, too, where it's really about getting people to think holistically and ask, like, where did this come from? Where will this have to go? So I'm not always a big fan of these bands or like specific things where I think it focuses people on one thing that they think is a silver bullet and can sometimes be distracting from like holistically thinking about the problems that we're trying to solve. Uh,
0: The last question of the lightning round, who has had the greatest impact on your learning and why?
1: This one's probably a little cliche, but it's my mom. Um, and it's really just kind of one statement that she said to me and my sister kind of throughout our whole upbringing is whenever we'd leave for school or be off to like, you know, take a test or something, she'd say, you're a smart girl. The world needs you. And I really just loved that perspective. And I still kind of say it to other people because there are so many things that really need to happen. And there's so many problems to solve and just focusing what you've been given and like the opportunities you have on really making an impact in those ways um and feeling that sense of responsibility just really is to me the most motivating thing and has driven me to to continue learning
0: simple and powerful jessica thank you so much for coming on the show we'll have to do it again in 12 months
1: yeah thanks so much for having me and i'm sure some of the answers would even change in 12 months
0: wow If that doesn't get you jazzed about the future, I do not know what will. Thank you so much, Jess, for coming on the show. And Molly, thank you so much for coordinating. Sincere thanks to all of you for listening in the first place. Seriously, thank you for giving us a little bit of your day today. It really does mean a lot to all of us here at In Good Hands. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing or writing us a review. It really does mean a lot to us. Also, special thanks to Byte for sponsoring this season of In Good Hands. And to Dan Mahoney and Lucas Arndt, who produced this week's episode. And to Eddie Knuckles, our music director. I'm your host, Peter Levin. And if you'd like to recommend a guest, sponsor an episode, or help spread the message, you can find us on social at InGoodHands or our website, ingoodhands.us. Again, huge, huge thanks to all of you for your support. We really do appreciate it and can't wait to bring you another new episode next Tuesday.